I'm really grateful for the sila that we have there, not just to give time for people to move off and whatever, but it gives me a chance to keep from crying when I get up here uh, to start. It gives you a little time, such a powerful message from the choir, and, and all the singing today has just really lifted up the Lord in their hearts, and I hope in your hearts. On this Father's Day, it's, it's good for us to remember that the ultimate father-son relationship is between God the Father and God the Son, and that Christ Jesus, God the Son, made God the Father known to a world that had largely forgotten or distorted who God is and what God does. Paul says of the Father that all the families of the earth are named after Him. In other words, our whole concept of family really uh, comes from the character of God the Father and the relationship within the Trinity of Father, Son, and Spirit, and, and we reflect that as image bearers of God in our own families, uh, whether it's our immediate family or even our church family, and it's all dependent on the Lord Jesus having made this God known to us as God. The miracles Jesus did on the Sabbath day threatened those that were trying to promote and pr to protect man-made religion that was supposedly for the glory of God. And Jesus demonstrated that God the Father's heart for broken sinners, and, and He did amazing works that were perfectly in line with the Father's power and the Father's purpose. And in so doing, He exposed what frauds the powerful religious leaders of his day actually were. They, were. they were misrepresenting God. They were using God to promote their, their own systems and their own power and prestige. And rather than receive Jesus and what he was teaching, they determined that he must be destroyed. He was a threat. So two major groups of persons emerged from the extraordinary ministry of Jesus those who trusted fully in Him to save them, and those who wanted to kill Him rather than yield to Him. And those two groups continue to this day. Now, obviously, we're at a distance. We can't physically kill Him, but we can, as it were, kill Him, assassinate Him, remove Him from our lives because we refuse to yield. In our section this morning, Jesus addresses the eternal consequences of this sharp divide, and it naturally calls on us to choose wisely how we respond to Jesus and His teaching. If you'll follow with me as I read from John chapter 5, verses 25 to 30. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, 
those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. As Jesus talks, it It's very clear that there are two distinct persons of the Godhead He's talking about here. Obviously, there's the Spirit as well to talk about later, but here, Father and Son, there's a Father granting, there's a Son receiving, and Christ refers to my own will, conforming to the will of Him who sent me. In verse 25 and verse 28, they both refer to the dead hearing the voice of Christ. One is present tense. The other is future, and both are significant. And thus, the title of our message this morning, The Dead Hear His Voice. Jesus demonstrates in these verses, first of all, in verses 25 to 26, His power to give life as the Son of God. Secondly, He talks about His authority to execute judgment as the Son of Man. That's verses 27 to 29. And then finally, He, in verse 30, shows His perfect justice to fulfill the will of the Father. And we'll look at these verses under these three headings. First, consider with me His power to give life as the Son of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. Jesus starts this saying with the words, truly, truly, amen, amen, marking what's about to be said as absolutely so. It's like saying, we might say it this way, mark my words. You can bank on this. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Both Father and Son have life in themselves. Both have the power to give it physically and spiritually. In fact, John introduced us to the Word who was God and was with God. In John chapter 1, he says about him, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, you and I enjoy life, but we can't say that that life is intrinsic to us, that we're givers of it, that we're source of it, but Father and Son are the source of of life. And it reminds us of the early words in Genesis. In Genesis 2 7, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature. When we hear the word creature, we think about monsters for some kind of sci fi flick. But, but creature refers to a created being with a sense of being. The same word, nephesh, is used in Genesis 1 account of God's creation of the living creatures, the living created beings of sea and air and land. And when applied to human beings, they can be translated as self or soul or person. Jesus, God the Son, God the Father, God the Spirit, they are the source of life to those who have personhood, who have being, who have life. When a person dies, the living soul leaves the body. And when a person is resurrected, that life force, that soul returns. So clearly human beings are more than material, chemical machines. 
There's a non-material, there's a spiritual part to them, and God is the source of that life. Now, notice that Jesus says an hour is coming, which is future, referring to future resurrection, the physical resurrection, and is now here a present resurrection, referring to a spiritual resurrection. And during Jesus' ministry, He raised persons from the dead physically, showing that the future physical resurrection of the dead was for real, that it was possible, that that God can do that. But His greater ongoing emphasis was on raising people from the dead spiritually, giving them spiritual life. He says, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. He, He gives them eternal life starting in the very present so that they have it from the moment that they are born again. He says in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. The apostles talk about this conversion of from spiritual death to spiritual life. Paul talks about it in Ephesians 2 as he writes, believers in Ephesus, once worshipers of demons and of Satan, he says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins in in which you once walked. You lived your walkabout life following in lockstep the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. It's our nature to disobey. We are sinners by birth and by choice, but Satan, the prince of the power of the air, is supercharging that. There's demonic influence actually working on us and tapping into what we do by nature, among whom we all once lived. Paul includes himself in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. So, the flesh is not just the the physical part, but it's also the way we think and and feel and, and the will that we have. Well, that was all according to the desires of the body and the mind, according to the flesh, were by nature children of wrath. In other words, just as a child does by nature uh, what his parents are, like father, like son, we, we were children of wrath. We were destined to wrath. It's our natural outcome, the natural consequence of who we are, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. This has already happened if we're trusting in Jesus. By grace, you have been saved. I mean, obviously, a dead person can't bring himself to life. God has to bring that person to life. God is the source of that life, and Jesus says, I have that kind of power, the power to give life to people. Colossians 2.13, you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, in other words, you're, you, were, you were living according to the sinful nature that you had, that your, your body would and, and mind would lead you to, God made alive together with Him, with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses. But spiritual resurrection is not all there is. The spiritual and the physical resurrections are connected. Paul does that in Romans 8, verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, in other words, you're already alive 
through the Holy Spirit regenerating you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, your dying bodies, through his Spirit who dwells in you. So there's this spiritual resurrection that happens first, and then there will be the physical resurrection that happens later. The first resurrection, the spiritual resurrection, is guarantee of the physical resurrection, just as Christ rose physically from the dead, the first fruits of those that slept. Now, Jesus has this continuity in mind and view when he says to Martha after Lazarus died, she was one of the sisters of Lazarus, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, think about any mere human being ever saying that. I mean, Think about, I mean, that's just outlandish. If one of you said that to me, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be moving away expecting lightning to strike, right? Because we just don't, human beings just don't have that level of power. Jesus did. I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, he transfers the weight of his trust into me. Though he die, like Lazarus has done, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me, shall never die. How is that possible? Spiritual life. That spiritual life keeps going. Do you believe this? And on that, our response to that is our response to the gospel. And of course, she believed that Jesus was the Christ that God had sent, and he's, he's the one that brings this. It's an astounding declaration that the voice Think of the sound waves coming from the mouth of the Son of God brings life to the dead spiritually as well as to the dead physically. And, and actually, when we share the gospel, when we share the words of Jesus, God uses our very tongues to bring life. It's, it's not from us, but it's from Jesus through us. His message, that, that voice of the Son of God brings life to the dead spiritually and one day will bring life to the dead physically. Jesus has proven his words over and over again over the centuries. Those who reject his words do so in the face of repeated demonstration of the power of his voice to make people alive. So it leaves us with some questions. We want to think about Jesus and, and, and how we imagine him to be. How does Jesus' power to give life physically and spiritually inform your view of him? We talked last week about how really to just consider him a teacher or just a good man is not nearly sufficient to explain the, the kinds of things that he said and the kinds of things that he did. And so we want to make sure that Jesus is large in our thinking. And secondly, what evidence could others see in you that Jesus has given you spiritual life? You say you've heard his voice. Okay, where's the evidence of the life? Okay, because there, there ought to be life there that comes from God, and we'll see more of what that looks like later. Second thing that Jesus talks about is his authority to execute judgment as the Son of Man. He shifted from Son of God to Son of Man. Verse 27, and he has given him, the Father has given him, the Son, authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs, all who are in the tombs, will hear his voice and come out. 
those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. As the God-man in fulfillment of Daniel's night visions and Daniel 7 of one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with the ancient of days at the end of the age to judge all the world and all the kingdoms of the world and all the people of the world, Jesus, the Son of Man, which, by the way, was his favorite way of designating himself, the Son of Man is uniquely qualified as God and as the perfect man to judge all people. By the way, it was this claim that one day they would see him, Jesus, as Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. That was the claim that he made in his trial that they used to condemn him as being guilty of blasphemy and condemn him to death in the illegal nighttime trial that they had before his crucifixion. Now, I don't know how much opportunity you've had to be in actual courtroom. I've, I've had a little bit. We, occasionally, we've had judges here as well. But the few times that I've observed judges in human law courts, I've been struck with the balance of practical compassion and legal knowledge that judges typically display. Their role requires that kind of balance, whereas other roles in the justice system tend more toward the prosecution or for the defense. And it's just interesting as I think back as the experiences I've had with different, different groups within the justice system, how, how often the judge has this kind of comprehensive view. But human judges themselves, sinners by birth and by choice, often make errors in their judgment. Not so Jesus. His judgments are perfect. And he sees with the perspective of one who has suffered what humanity suffers. He sees exactly what's going on, understands exactly what's going on as the Son of Man. Hebrews 4.15 tells us we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You know, how often we see people, how often we ourselves misjudge other people because we don't even, we don't understand what they're going through. We don't understand what they're dealing with. We don't understand their background. Jesus does. He has complete knowledge of exactly what's going on all the way to the depths of our soul, and he also has experienced what it's like to be human being. In fact, this is, this is the reason, part of the reason God has given him this authority. Philippians 2, 8 through 11, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so he dies as a criminal, even though he's totally innocent. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, the God-man, Savior. His name means Yahweh saves. He was given that name because he, Jesus, shall save his people from their sins. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We don't detract from God the Father's glory when we give glory to God the Son because God the Father has exalted him as 
not only Son of God, but Son of Man. Now, notice the evidence on which Jesus makes His final judgment. Those who have done good receive the resurrection of life. They do good. You say, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like the gospel to me. Well, well let, let's listen to what Jesus is saying in, in the rest of the New Testament. They do good, not in order to be saved, but because they are saved. Their good works are the proof of the life that they have received from God. You know, how do, how do you know, you know, what children belong to what father? Well, well, you can do a paternity test, okay? There's actual DNA evidence, and, and you can also see similarities. This is why as we get older, we start looking back in the mirror and see our father instead of ourselves. Um, there, there, are, there are things that we get from the father. Well, if we have spiritual life from God, then there ought to be a resemblance. His life in us ought to show. So you have those who've done good, then those who've done evil, or what is worthless, a resurrection of judgment. Their evil works show that they don't have life from God. You see, the spiritual life that believers in Christ enjoy has very practical, down-to-earth results in this life. This is not just a legal fiction. We talk about justification. That's being declared righteous. This is sanctification and leading to glorification. This, this is like if you have life from God, if you're regenerate, if you're born again, if God's life is in you, if the Holy Spirit is in you, then that life is going to flow out. Now, it may be more evident in, in some than others. It takes time to grow. It's fruit of the Spirit, not just tack on additions. It takes time to grow, but it's got to be there. It's got to be there, and it's very practical. This is not just so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. If you are genuinely heavenly-minded, you will be earthly good. You have to be. In fact, if you're not earthly good, you're not heavenly-minded. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 25, also talking about His role as judge. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all His angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as, shepherd, as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For, here's the reason, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Now, you look, you look at that list. It's not, this is not extraordinary stuff. This is just like obvious. This is like duh stuff. This is like obviously. This is the response we ought to have to need. Christians respond to need. Then the righteous will answer him saying, and this is, this is how pedestrian, this is how just like normal life this was for them. The righteous will say, answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? 
And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. In other words, the kindness that we're showing other people is ultimately a kindness we're showing to God himself, reflecting the goodness he has put in our hearts. Then he will say to those on his left, here's the contrast, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. I mean, you might have led the singing and you might have preached the sermons and you might have been, you know, had a perfect attendance at Sunday school and you might have been a a powerful person in the denomination or in your church and and your, your name might be on multiple bricks of multiple buildings. But that's not what counts. The question is, do you have life, and does it show in just everyday practical ways? Those whose lives are characterized by evil works instead of good works are self-deceived. If they think they are among the saved and that they will experience the resurrection to eternal life. Now, as you well know, Those who are saved, those who have life from Jesus because of their faith in Him, are not sinless yet, but good works, not bad works, characterize their lives. It's the general theme of their lives. If they have heard Christ's voice and have therefore put their trust in Him, He has given them divine life, and His life in them produces good, not evil. This is what This is what John has already told us back in John 3 after that conversation with Nicodemus. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. In other words, the good works that are coming from genuine believers, are works that God is working in them and through them. Matthew 13, 41 to 43, the Son of Man, again, using that title, will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. Again, talking about the practical outcome of those who refuse life. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Everything depends on whether you will listen to his voice. But did you notice that what Jesus said is that all who are in the tombs will hear his voice? In other words, there's no escape from this judgment from the Son of Man, not even in the grave. People think, oh, well, I'm going to live my life. I'll just die like an animal. I will escape God. I'm going to, I'm going to live on, on my own. I'm going to shut him out. And when I die, it's over. I finally will rest in peace. No, you will not. Only for a season. There's no escape from this judgment, not even in the grave. The dead bodies of even those who've refused to listen to Jesus and to trust in Him 
They refused to hear his voice when they were physically alive. They will hear his voice when they are dead. They won't be able to fight back, and they will rise again to stand before him in judgment. John, in his book of the Revelation, the revealing of the Son of God, Jesus, writes this in Revelation 20 of that fearful day. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. There are records being kept. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. No escape in the depths of the sea. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. No escape in death or the grave or in Sheol. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The book of life. The book of life is the names of those who heard the voice of the Son of God and received life from Him were made alive spiritually. That's the book of life. If your name's not there, then you will be judged according to your works. And guess what? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, you cannot but be condemned. There's no way. There's no way to escape. The only way you escape is if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And today is one of those days where if you have not heard his voice yet, if you have not trusted his gospel yet, if you have not received his life yet, today is one of those days he calls on you to hear and to receive it. And it will be part of the witness for the prosecution if you refuse him. How many times have you said no? God has a record of every single one of them. And you will be thrown into the lake of fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. Well, someone says, well, what about those who don't believe in Christ but still do good deeds? Well, that's because we are made in the image of God, and there's a common grace where we, we understand right and wrong, and, and people try to do what's right. But nobody can claim that all his or her deeds, not one of us, are good, and that even our good works are not tainted in some way. So, Notably, not trusting in Christ, not, not hearing His voice, is, is refusing to give Him honor, and belonging to Christ is what saves us. And when we belong to Christ, our works display that we are His. So if you were to stand before Jesus, the Son of Man today, we were to fast forward to that fateful day, the day when earth and sky flee away, what would his judgment be of you? 
You know, there are those there that say, well, we've preached in your name, and we've done miracles in your name, and we, we've, we've done amazing things, and they even call him Lord, and he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So do you listen to his voice now? And do you show you are trusting him by your good works? And it doesn't have to be fancy. It's like, you know, I think sometimes you think, oh, I've got to do some kind of great thing. I've got to, got to do some kind of spectacular thing. No, just where are the needs and, and let your heart go out to those needs the way Jesus' heart went out to needs. Now, do something about it. Show that kind of kindness. And finally, we see in verse 30, his perfect justice to fulfill the will of the Father. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. Interesting, before saying, look, hear the voice of the Son of God. Here he's saying, I'm hearing the voice of the Father. My judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So here's the thing. You and I do not have to worry that somehow Jesus Christ will judge any person unfairly. No one will be treated more severely than he or she deserves. He will exercise perfect justice because he is the righteous one. Everything he does is perfectly in line with the will of God the Father. And think about the Father's heart toward people. It's gracious and kind, which he's proven by sending his Son to save all who would trust in him, even though as sinners they deserve to be condemned. Now, Jesus uses the present tense here. His judgments while he was on earth were just as perfect as they will be in the final day. All that he says, all that Jesus says, perfectly aligns with the Father's will. And he's going to start talking about the witnesses to who he is in the next passage. To refuse to listen to what Jesus teaches is to refuse what matches perfectly with the will of God. It's to refuse the basis on which the judgment will fall. His ear is perfectly tuned to the voice of God the Father. And that is why how you respond to the words and works of Jesus Christ has everlasting consequences. Your response is now. The consequences are forever. Now, popular philosophies come and go. If you've lived a few decades, you've seen things radically change. This opposites become in vogue. Whether you're talking about tradition or trend, whether you're talking about fashion or you're talking about philosophy, even even those who deny that absolute truth exists keep creating means by which they judge themselves and others. But such judgments are fickle as the wind and are often false, whereas the judgments of Jesus are true and will stand forever. So that leads us to ask ourselves this question, how high is my estimation of what Jesus judges to be true? And, and how can I show my view by the way I live my life? And then we live in a world that's talking all the time. We are communicating all the time. What opinions and philosophies do people or you 
tend to value more than the declarations of Jesus himself. There are those who have worshipped alongside of you who have decided they prefer those voices to the voice of the Son of God. So we must be careful. If you prize the judgments of Jesus, what are you doing to give what he has said sufficient attention? Listen, part of the reason that people struggle with the veracity, the truthfulness of the Scriptures and of Christianity is they're listening to the wrong voices too much of the time, and they're not spending time listening to God. This is is a commonality of those who turn away from the faith. They stop listening to God. They close their Bibles, and they start listening to all the philosophers of the age. They start acting like human beings who are are here today and gone tomorrow suddenly came up with the definition of reality. That's just, that's idiocy. That's so stupid. It's obviously stupid. However you dress it up as intellectual, when the Ancient of Days has spoken and the Son of God has made Him known, He has the power to give life as the Son of God. His authority is to execute judgment as the Son of Man, and His perfect justice fulfills the will of the Father. May we hold Jesus high. His voice, His voice is so great that even the dead hear His voice. Will you hear His voice and receive life from Him? Because if you refuse it now, one day your dead body will hear His voice and you'll be condemned. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, your word. May we hear it, God, to the depths of our soul. I pray you would bring repentance and conviction and faith, Lord, in our hearts. And help us hold fast to the truth you have revealed that we might be among those whose names are in the book of life and whose lives display the good and beneficial heart of God the Father. We pray these things in Christ's name.